Different Perspectives, a new podcast from Affect Autism. Hello, listeners and viewers. I am Daria Brown, and I am super thrilled to have our third parent panel on Parent Perspectives this week. First, we have Sam Rowit in Virginia. She is the mother of three girls, age 11, 9, and 4. Her youngest is autistic. She has been in the United States for about 12 years. Like Maria from our last parent panel, she, she has English as her second language, and her extended family is all back home. She was a teacher and a principal in Ethiopia and had experience with autism, so she recognized that her daughter might be autistic at about 18 months old. She found floor time as she searched for an alternative to applied behavior analysis. Welcome, Samrawit. Thank you, Daya. We also have Cass Griffin Bennett in Washington State. She is the mother of two girls, age six and four, both autistic. Cass was diagnosed with ADHD as a young adult, and since her girls were diagnosed as autistic, she found out that she is also autistic which has helped her insight into her daughters as she realized that the things that helped them helped her as well and vice versa. Her youngest is non-speaking and they began robust high-tech AAC at age two. Welcome Cass. Thank you. Donna is just outside of Toronto, Ontario and is the mother of a five-year-old neurotypical girl and an eight-year-old non-speaking autistic girl. She found floor time when she was looking for an alternative to her autistic daughter's public school. She is a powerful advocate for her daughter and a great friend of mine. I'm so glad to have you, Donna. Michelle is in New York State and is the mother of two boys, age 15 and 12. Her older son is autistic. She found floor time many years ago. Her son had floor time until elementary school, and then she came back to floor time in the last six years and has found it to be very helpful, as well as having been a learning journey for herself. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you, Daria. What I want to go to is how you found floor time. Whatever I find is interesting to me, I have to get in contact with the person who was presenting that thing. So I will go to any shows like wherever I see there is a program that's happening about autism, I'll go and check. So um, I found, um, you know, I, I forgot her name. There is this woman and she's a speech therapist and she was presenting. After the presentation, I called her. I said, I have a two-year-old. She's so young. She has, She lost her speech and I need help. What do you advise me? So she, uh, she said, how old is she? What does she do? She asked me so many questions and she said, you know, when, she's, when they are young, floor time is more better than any other. So how do I get that? How, how do I find that therapy? She said, find Jake um, Greenspan. And she gave me his contact and I emailed him. I emailed him. At this time, I had a speech therapist for her already through insurance. And I every time I go there, I just, I feel like defeated. Every time we drive there, I'm worried all the time when I come back. I feel like crying because the person speaks to my child as if she's not, she's a robot. So she, she, she just does not have any, any effect on her face. She'll just say, do this, 
do that. And I was saying, why is she talking to her like that? I asked her actually. She said, it's because they like they understand things when it's given to them in like that way, in the way she was talking. But my in, I didn't accept it, but I don't I didn't have any choice. So I emailed him, he contacted me and he said, come. And we went to his office. The way they were talking to her, it just, it just, I felt so good about it. They, they had so oh. much effort. Samra, you're, you're talking about the Floor Time Center now. Yes, the one in Virginia. So Jake Greenspan, we, yes. Yes, we made, we made an appointment with uh, Jake Greenspan and we went there and there was a, uh, there was a occupational therapist there too. So both of them started playing with my child and she was playing, they were talking to her and but the way they were talking to her, it was like how you play with your child at home. So I was so interested. I actually asked him, is it okay if I record? He said, yeah, go ahead and record. Don't no worry. So I was talking, to, I was seeing that. And all of a sudden, while he was playing with her, she saw like a crack on the floor and she said, oh, it's broken. So she does, I said that she stopped talking. But all of a sudden she said that. I was, she said, did you hear her? He said that, and he said, see, it's not that she cannot speak, it's just that you have to get to that. And then she, she just, it was a different time for me. And she started wanting to go out of the room. She wanted to run out. So he closed the door and he held it with his foot. And she said, it's stuck. So it, it's just amazing to me. So I said, no, whatever it is, we're doing floor time. Mm -hmm. Then I started researching about floor time. I went to ICDL website and I started looking for speech therapists with floor time training. I found, um, I don't know what to say to her. She's just a different, I don't know. She's a scent for us, for our house. I found a person there. She started doing uh, speech therapy with her. And then while I was looking, I found affect autism too. So that's how I found floor time and affect autism. Thank you very much. Cass. I did a lot of reading during our big waitlisted time. Um, and two books made a huge, huge impact on me. One was Sincerely Your Autistic Child. Um, which is amazing. Um, and it's a book of what people on the autism spectrum wish their parents knew about growing up acceptance and identity. There is a lot of discussion and it's 27 different authors, right? So it's not just one person's account, it's 27 different people. And they are, are giving very personal testimony about what they wish their parents had known and and a huge portion of it includes to not put me in ABA and that planted a seed um that I I didn't really know what I was looking for or not looking for right at that time and then I read Dr. Mona Delahook's uh Beyond Behaviors and that those two books really changed my whole framework and <clears throat> at the time our older daughter was in speech therapy and that speech therapist 
was in the DIR floor time directory. I don't think I found her because she was in the DIR floor time directory, but I think it's possibly how I found about, about DIR floor time. But once they were diagnosed, um, we needed OT. I had this misconception that diagnosis would bring with it services. Nope. You just get on more wait lists, right? Um, so I was pretty overwhelmed, but I was like, okay, well, I, we're not doing ABA. So what are my options here? Because around here, almost everything is ABA. Almost everything. There's a handful of non-ABA OTs. Um, and so we got on those wait lists. And that's how I found out about DIR floor time because they all shared something in common, <laughs> which is that they were DIR floor time instead of ABA. So that's how I found out about it. Thank you. Donna. Yes, I want to comment so badly on you because it's so true. The overwhelming, the, okay, so thank you for letting me know where's the services? What do I do next? It's kind of like, oh, here, you have uh, this acronym. Good luck and all the best. So that's. For each girl, there was about a dozen pages of recommendations, about a dozen. And, <laughs> and I was like, wait, and this is all on me to just suddenly do, right? I thought this was going to help this situation. And nope. Yeah. Oh, 100%. How did I find out about floor time? So two and a half, my daughter starts losing words everywhere. We're panicked. We're waiting to get her diagnosed. Uh, at three and a half, she had her diet, like her testing. Three months after that, I called and said, you know, what, what do I do? I can't just wait in limbo. She starts school in like a week. And they said, go talk to the school. Let them know she's likely going to be diagnosed as autistic. Get the ball rolling. So I did that. I went to the school, the local public school, and said, here's our situation. She's starting here. She's only three years old. She doesn't say anything. Do you need support? Do I need support? Do you know what supports I can get? Like it was all over the place. Three months after that, oh, we started ABA therapy at that time too. Like I was just looking up anything I could possibly find. So we had started whatever, speech therapy. The robot came to my house once a week or twice a week. I think she was coming. And the usual stuff. And that sounds all so similar. And then... Um, my daughter escaped school. So at the ripe age of four, in the middle of winter, she's a December baby. She knew how to put her snowsuit on by herself, her zipper, her hat, mitts, gloves, whatever. And she decided to go outside to the play park in the back of the school. And I was in the neighborhood and I get a call the first time saying, have you picked your daughter up yet? And I was like, no, I'm on my way to get her. She's going to ABA. We, they discovered she was missing. Oh, she was in the play park. It's not a big deal. But she was there by herself. It's an open play park. Anyone can walk into the school. She started SK there. We have JKSK. SK, still there. She leaves again. And this time it's early fall. And I know she knows how to find her way home. But to do that, she has to cross multiple streets and a little parquette and all of this stuff. And I said, okay, here's the problem. I can't say to my daughter, 
how was your day? What did you do today? There's no response. There's nothing. So I started looking up schools. At first, I thought maybe I need to bring it to a private school with smaller classes. And my journey was a little bit backwards. I found a school for autism, an autism school, very basic blunt. But I found a school that taught to all autistics. And they followed this DIR floor time thing. And I was like, oh, well, what is that about? So this was in October. I did about a week's worth of research and begged the school to take her for that year. And that's how my floor time journey began. And I did the 101, I did the homeschool, I did, you know, we settled nicely into COVID with all of that. And we were just all on board and still are. Like it's, to me, I don't look at it as a therapy. I look at it as a lifestyle. It's kind of, yeah, I want to hang out with my child and be able to talk with her and have my other child talk with her. I have one child who's very verbal and one who isn't. And yet they managed to communicate together now through play. And that was, I think, the whole point. That was my goal. So I, I was very thankful for for lucking out, I guess, and finding it. So during COVID, our family really got to enjoy floor time. And we were able to do some of those home courses, the home evaluations, um, you know, collect uh, Jackie Bartell, even Maude, I took some courses from Maude, like it was really, really nice. And it helped us really learn to communicate as a family, even though one person maybe didn't have as many words as the rest of us. So. I loved that ICEL did that during COVID, a number of parent webinars, and we had our parent support group going, and it it definitely was helpful that ICDL was already an online platform. So we were up and running when COVID hit. So that was that was convenient. It, it was, but I should also mention that I found ICDL through Daria and Affect Autism and the parent group support meeting. And Michelle, tell us how you found floor time. I think I feel lucky um, in our state when we had a diagnosis. So they, um, this a social worker came to our house. So she gave us that you know list of agency that we could choose on. So basically, said uh, this agency lean toward ABA and some toward floor time. I don't know both of that, but you know I have an educational background. You know, so when I listen to that, I'm thinking, I think I kind of like this one full time better than the ABA because I don't like to treat behavior and it's almost like he was trained to do some work. So we choose ABA approach with the agency, even they claim they are similar, they use place therapy, not totally a uh, full time. But I do think, you know, with them working with him and then, you know, he's making progress. I see that when he's in early intervention and when preschool is half day, he still got that type of service. But then when it comes to, you know, school age, there's no, you know, all intervention, you know, provider came to a house to work with my son. And even uh, they told me before, you know, how to work with him, but I just felt I, I wasn't really learn a lot with, to be able to do that with him. So then at that time, I also think flow time is also for, you know, kids who are younger because you do flow time with them. So I guess my misconception kind of felt, okay, so we probably have to say bye-bye to flow time when he's go to elementary school. And that's where I was kind of stuck there. So we focus on, you know, on different therapy, like, you know, the occupational therapy, vision therapy for him. We try a lot of different things. Now, full time, 
until I came across the OT, she mentioned about um, she had the DIR 101 with Ma, and then, you know, she referred me to that. And I took the DIR 101 with Jackie Patel, I think in 2017, and she started to mention about Daria, the effort autism. So I started to join the parent group. So um, that's the that's time I start to come back, you know, have contact with full time again and then learning more about full time. And I think over these six years, I probably, I think I took full time DR, the DR 101 three times I counted. <laughs> and I also want to mention about, I think COVID is a weird, I mean, it's probably the worst time for a lot of people, but I think I find it's a, actually it's a kind of best time for me to be with my child because I'm more time with him, he's, the, he's at home. And then because at time I'm in contact, you know, with this parent group and the, the, um, the ICD offer like some free parent workshop. So I was able to take more time to apply those things. So that's how I that's get my started to go back to a track of, you know, full time. Yeah. Okay. So for our third go around, I want to focus on the topic retrospective perspective. So I'll start by saying that the more I learned, it really slowly sunk in that floor time was more for me than for my child. <laughs> I really had to change the way I interacted with my child. And in the We Chose Play series, I, I forget which episode it was, but you really show, uh, it really shows those early videos of me teaching my son how to count and, oh, this is how you play and do this and do that. And lots of directing him and him just tuning out, right? Until you learn, ah, join them in what they love. And then through play, have these playful interactions where you're starting to connect with your child and the use of affect and everything like that. And so um, for, yeah, my retrospective perspective is just, I don't even know if I could have been pushed there sooner, because I think every parent has an idea of how things are going to be. And when that slams in your face that that's not the way things are, it's quite an adjustment, right? So really, um, you know, shaking the ground under your feet to realize you're going to have a child with a disability and not knowing the future but you know you grow into that acceptance for who your child is and you love that child and I remember in the hospital saying uh every day with this boy is the best day of my life and that still makes me emotional because I I adore him so much and at that point everything else just becomes secondary you do everything you have to do to make sure your child is safe respected and loved and it's a constant battle because everything out there pushes to change your child and to conform to a normative standard. And that's very frustrating. So I don't know how much retrospective uh, perspective I have. I think everybody has to go through their journey at their own pace. Uh, Samrui, what did you think uh, when you when you look back now and all your child is still quite young. Um, she's 10 years younger than my son. So you're, you're newer on your journey but do you have any kind of retrospective perspective that you wish you could have told yourself a few years back? So um, I think it's it's similar, like floor time is more of you learning, you and the rest of your family learning how to communicate with your 
child instead of them um, changing. So that that was where I, I really did not want to change her really, but I wanted her to have in my idea normally. That was what we used to discuss with my husband all the time. Because when we when she got diagnosed, the person who diagnosed her, they have their own ABA center. So they recommended 40 hours of ABA per week. She was just at that time, I think two years and one month or two months like that. So she could not even sit. Imagine having her in one place for 40 hours per week, uh, eight hours a day. So I was worried, but they started sending me this like information, videos, small videos, and also like saying you have to commit to 14 hours. So it's more of if you don't do it, you're you're gonna lose your child. So you you know that something is issue there, and also you wanna help your child. So it was so hard. Every time I had this friend, I wish everybody has a friend like So I will talk to her. I'll say, am I making a mistake? Does she have to go to that place? She said, what do you think? I'll just say, I want to help her, but 14 hours? And then I have seen the videos, how they teach them. I I don't want her to learn that way. I know that she's a very strong willed child. So if she wants something and then you don't give it to her, her reaction is bigger. So we manage everything. Like if you tell her ahead of time, she doesn't have a problem. But you cannot just tell her, sit down, sit down, don't get up. You can't do that with her. So I think she's going to shut up more because they're going to make her angry. She's not going to do it. So I kept saying that, but at the back of my mind, am I making a mistake? Because I want her to live a normal life. Because she was not speaking at that time, she was getting upset easily, and it, her like her tantrums looked very big to us. So, but all of a sudden, I just said, "Okay, whatever it is, I have time. She's just two year old, so I'm gonna decide for time." And then after we decided that, so we'll we'll go, we'll read, and then after I read, I'll just water it down and sit my husband and my two children and then tell them, this is what I learned. This is how they learned. This is what we should do. And all of a sudden we started seeing her being interested with us and playing with us. And so then I understood it was not her. She's still the same person as she was. We didn't change anything for her, but the way we do things, we changed it and she's a different person. So I always say, I wish not only for me, for everybody I know, I wish I could tell them that it's not, this is not the way to go. I mean, this is, this is there is another way. Uh, I wish I know that from the beginning. And I wish for everybody to know that the children do not need, need to be taught as if they are like mindless. And then, so it's a perspective, a retrospective for myself and for everybody around me. I love that. I love that. And 
you really made me think of my experience in the rehabilitation hospital because they provided speech therapy and occupational therapy for my son and play therapy and all of these things. And I remember that speech therapist strapping in him into a little table. He's two years old. He can't move. And they're, you know, getting him to do menial tasks and none of it sat well with me. Um, and, you know, even the ABA funding thing, uh, ABA person came to the house, sat him at this little desk and held up cue cards. What's this? Yay. Good job. What's this? And I'm like, I said, excuse me, what is this? What's the purpose of this? I said, he already knows that stuff like that. This isn't doing anything. And I stopped the service after one session. It was just ridiculous. And so I think what you're saying is what we hear many self-advocates say, which is if you enable, uh, just like these glasses enable me to see, if you provide the environment that enables the child, then you can't see what other people call deficits. Um, it's it's the environment that's disabling. And certainly my son has an intellectual disability. He has, you know, other challenges as well. It's not to say that um, there won't be any support needed. Of course, there's support needed. But that enabling environment that helps the child feel safe. I love how you described your uh, her siblings and you and your husband playing with her. And it's just wonderful. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Cass, I imagine you have uh, a lot of retrospective perspective with all that you've been through. I do. And I just want to say, I really identified with a lot of what you were saying. One thing that I, I wish I had known um, at the time is that patience is key and that our kids are just by definition on a different developmental timeline, right? that the comparing them to the typical developmental timeline is irrelevant and counterproductive. And the thing about having two kids um, is that I have watched as the younger one developed on the same timeline as older sister around things like pretend play neither one of them wanted anything to do with pretend play until their third birthday. And then over the course of the third year, both of them went from hiding, like they would pair little figures, right? And I would see like little figure pairings around the house. And then they started carrying around figures. And again, th these are years apart in between these incidents. So they're not getting it from each other, right? Um, and then it would be little short conversations um, that they didn't want you to be part of. And then it was really wanting you to be part of, but it had to be very much scripted. You had to play an exact role. You had to be, right? And then they started opening up to your ideas as part of it. And it it was a year-long process, right? The exact same window. And it has made me wonder, like, what if we actually had robust, meaningful data around like typical autistic developmental milestones, right? Um, because then we wouldn't be as stressed out constantly looking at everything that everyone's behind, right? Um, and we would know like, where are those sort of growth opportunities that need a little extra support to make a really big leap 
um, and maybe focus there versus, oh man, if I just leave this alone for 18 months, it'll be a totally different story, right? Um, so that's something I wish I had known, um, patience, and that some things will just happen. Um, another thing that I wish I had known um, is that <laughs> um, a lot of the most alarming behaviors that we saw with our younger daughter um, the self-injurious behaviors, um, the, um, and frankly, the harming me, I was frequently the target, um, because we were attached all the time. And, um, and she, she was just really frustrated all the time and starting robust high-tech AAC. I, I cannot overstate the difference it made. We started at two and a half. Um, she had no prerequisite skills. Um, she did not do low tech. She wouldn't do it. She flat out refused. Um, and so they, they said, well, she can't do high tech. Our EI SLP, our early intervention SLP and our private SLP said, nope, high tech's not for her because she won't do low tech. And I just didn't think that was correct. I think I thought that a device with a speech output would be a completely different deal than being able to interpret a board without any speech output. Um, thankfully, um, ended up able to get an AC evaluation. It was one of the 5,000 referral potentials as part of their evaluation documents, right? Um, went through that process. And, you know, I looked up like six months later, nine months later, and all of those behaviors were gone. Um, and it made me realize just the really intense relationship between that dysregulation and the inability to communicate. So prioritizing connection and ability to communicate their inner experience will go further than almost anything um, is something that I, I wish I had known. Um, another thing I wish I had known, um, in AAC world, um, they talk a lot about modeling without expectation. And what that means is you use the device to comment, right? Um, as part of sort of narration that you might otherwise to use a different terminology, right? Um, but you'd never do withholding. Um, your child reaches for a banana. They're not saying banana. They're not using their device to say banana, but you know they want a banana, right? Instead of being like, hey, say it on your talker, um, you get the banana. You, oh, you want a banana. And, and then you press banana on the device, right? You're making that connection, but you're not doing that um, relationship damaging withholding, right? Um, and that's called modeling without expectation. The same thing applies, I think, for learning self-regulation. Um, and we don't teach kids this way, really. Um, we have sort of a, a, an idea, even the good folks, I think, um, the really knowledgeable folks who I really admire, um, seem to sort of think that um, if, if kids are around regulated adults, then they somehow learn to self-regulate, right? If they can have a, a calm, safe grown-up to co-regulate -re with them, that that leads to 
them self-regulating. And in my experience, maybe it's just being autistic myself, but I need to see someone else do the things that I can experiment with to, to have an example of, right? Um, and so the idea of modeling without expectation, but around regulation. So like at our OT clinic, they had these bracelets um, and they were for the kids. Um, and one was red and one side is green and you could flip it if you were like, you would be green most of the time, but then if you're feeling dysregulated, this could be a signal that, hey, I'm feeling dysregulated. Um, and I decided to wear it. And I, I think I'm the only parent um, and I still wear it. It's been a year and a half. Um, and I started using it as a cue to show like, Hey guys, like not a, not a warning, but a, Ooh, I'm feeling something. Come on. Like I'm, um, because also being autistic, I can lose access to my mouth words, um, when I'm dysregulated. So it was sort of just a, a meaningful nonverbal communication cue that, um, I need a little bit of space or, um, and I started doing that. And sure enough, my older daughter started talking more about regulation, being more curious about regulation. Um, it opened conversations that were otherwise, they were not there before. Um, and so I have really leaned into that. Um, we have a lot around our house, a lot of meaningful nonverbal supports. Um, and we use them, the grownups, use them. They are primarily for the grownups because if they see us doing it, they start to do it. Um, and, and that has been true. So modeling without expectation as a thing for everything, um, is something I really wish I had known. Um, and another thing I wish I'd known is that I wish I had trusted myself more from the beginning. Um, and I, I hope a lot of other folks feel the same way, um, cause you're all wonderful. Um, but it's very overwhelming in the beginning. You're being given a lot of information by quote unquote experts that do doesn't seem to line up with how you view your child and what your gut is about your child. Right. And you question yourself because they're the ones with PhDs, um, but I think the tide is sort of turning in that regard, right? With the more autistic self-advocates that we have, we understand how that institutional knowledge is not really helpful um, or as helpful as the rest of the world seems to think it is. Um, so yeah, those are things that if I had written that book to myself, I would have put in. Thank you so much, Cass. I think that's so helpful. I want to put a link in the blog post for my podcasts with Jolene Fernald about alternative and augmentative communication, AAC. Um, I'm sure there's much more information than is in my podcasts, but Jolene is the floor time trainer who specializes in that. And there's a lot of good information in there. Um, in the podcast I did with Maribel Serrano Holder, she talked about uh, affordable apps that act as AAC as well. So I'll put links to all of that. And we just had 
AAC Awareness Month in October. Um, I hope people do explore that. I think that's so important. We hear that, uh, we heard that from Kieran Rose who visited our parent support group and I'll be doing a podcast about that support group. He talked about how important it is to give your children multiple means of communication because even if they can speak, it might be easier for them to text or to do other things. And, and we'll be talking more about that on the podcast going forward. Uh, another couple of things that I love that you said, Cass, was for one, trusting your gut. So many parents uh, have a hard time trusting their gut. Again, because, oh, well, it's just my child. I don't know other autistic kids. I don't know what's going on. And these people are the experts. And I think that was one of my strengths is I stuck to my gut fiercely. And that's part of why I made the website to empower parents to be able to stick to your gut. Um, I I argued with anybody who pushed things on me that I didn't agree with. And I was like, no, you know, he doesn't like that. Um, I, I wrote a nasty email to the developmental pediatrician's office when they wrote, I found him hard to assess. And I said, I don't think it was my son's problem. I think that was a you problem. That's not how I worded it, but it was. It was a problem with them. They did not know how to assess my child. Um, so that is so important to stick with your gut. And the downside of that is not everybody has the luxury to do that because they don't have a support system. They don't have financial resources. They don't have a lot of things. So that's why ICDL's parent support group is free service we offer as much as we can um and hopefully providing resources for parents that um they otherwise wouldn't have access to is helpful but it, life isn't fair that's for sure a lot of people could use a lot more support uh one ac resource that could be helpful for folks to know about is um northwest augmentative communication society NWAX. Um, has a lot, a lot of free AAC related resources and very, very good content. Um, I'm on the board. I did make all that content, um, but it's very solid and they're really good about helping. Thank you. And the whole piece about having patience with that developmental timeline, you know, I would notice things my son would do and I was like, oh, that's what they were asking about four years ago at the assessment. And now he's doing it. And just, you know, realizing that nature unfolds and development happens. And yes, development, certain developmental things are consistent across mammals, but the way they develop and the timeline is different. Everybody will develop some form of communication but what that looks like is going to be different in everybody, et cetera. So um, thank you so much. Uh, Donna, retrospective perspective, that was your coined term at our parent support group. So what kinds of things jump out to you? Well, I'm going to piggyback off of a bunch of stuff that both Samra Ben and uh, Cass mentioned. Number one, the first and foremost is fear of the unknown. You're given this diagnosis and you are like a deer in headlights and you don't know what to expect. And then they say, well, when your child does this and you're like, well, my child doesn't do that. Did they diagnose wrong? Am I crazy? Are they crazy? Is my child crazy? Like you don't even know where to go with that. Um, to be like, 
I really think that the fear of the unknown, what could be, what will be with watching your thoughts of this perfect being that you made and created. And now suddenly someone's telling you there's someone different. Well, yeah, there's nothing different. There's still the same perfect being that you want to be with and created and you love. And, and so that fear does subside. And I wish somebody had just told me to take a breath, model your expectations so that when your child sees you stressed out and you're taking a breath, they're going to do the same thing. Wonderfully put. Um, and just don't fear so much. Some stuff will happen. Some things will be a little quirky and you'll say, wow, that's a little quirky and that's about it. And I'm thankful that I had my other daughter who is neurotypical, who's probably far more quirky than my older daughter. Like she's got the sensory, she's got sensory issues. She's got a bunch of things and she controls them, but she's far more dramatic about it. Um, so maybe for the parents who do have neurodivergent kids, don't, don't always think that the neurodivergence is the cause. Maybe it's them being a kid that's a cause. That I wish somebody had said to me is that, you know, your daughter's doing that because she's a kid. <laughs> and, and that has made me a fierce advocate. I had this conversation just today with, with her school about, you know, Let's not forget that she's just a kid. Kids all around are doing the same thing. So, you know, let's not focus too much on the diagnosis. Let's focus on, you know, building that relationship and making them feel heard by whatever means. Um, the other big thing, well, the other big thing I wish I knew is contact everyone. Contact everyone. There is no person that I won't reach out um, randomly and send a text message or a message or a direct message, whatever, and say, hey, my name is Donna. I have a daughter who's autistic. You have someone in your life who's autistic. Tell me about your experience. That's all I want to know. I, I, any advice? Cass has given me some wonderful tools about AAC, and I hope that we're going to talk more about it later. But, you know, that's those are my number one resources. I, I always say, oh, you know, you're given this diagnosis and then told to go away. Well, maybe it's it's the the community aspect. Use your community because really you all on those Monday afternoons, whenever we have those chats with uh, affect autism, that is what got me through the initial stages and the diagnosis. And that is what got me through everything having lunch with an old friend who's you know has a 30 year old son having lunch with a newborn who they're suspecting something whatever it is just chatting texting emailing some of the parents just you know hey i'm throwing this idea out and if anyone has input i'm really open and welcome to it because it's such a trusted community and we mess up we say wrong things we, we act incorrectly our behaviors aren't always appropriate but it's such a wonderful and accepting community that they are there to welcome you and your mistakes and say next time let's approach it this way and maybe kind of work around and you're like okay done like that's it and you move forward so that kind of retrospective perspective has been huge for me and that's what i love about this approach is 
you meet the community of other families and parents that are so invested in their children, living full lives, communicating openly with however means of communication is available. So yeah, those are my perspectives. Thank you so much. Uh, Michelle, retrospective perspectives. You have a child who's around the my this age of my son, and we've been at this for a long time. I imagine you have lots of insights. And I personally have watched your growth as you were more directive with your son when I first met you to really understanding that the way you interact with him is just, it's been wonderful me to, for me to see your floor time journey. So I'm eager to hear what you have to say. Yeah, thank you, Daria. Yeah, I think I I least covered them um, since I felt this is not. I always felt when I have to speak English, this is not my native language. I was a bit nervous. I least couple of things. I hope I can catch most of them. So the first thing I'm gonna to talk is the uh, the thing about is that um the one I when I look at um we heard about follow your lead in full time. So I think I sort of understood. You know, it's like oh follow follow the child's lead. So I said, I'm doing that. But I think um, one time I got a, a shock that because I when I working with my son and then, you know, I was like teaching him and working with him. And I always like kind of expectation that he need to pay attention. But I felt he wasn't doing that. And then, you know, while we're working, I remember that time to say, can you pay attention? Can you pay attention? Can you look at me? Can you do this? So then, you know, I say like one or two times and then he looked at me, he said, I am paying attention. <laughs> and then, you know, it's for me that, well, then I all of a sudden I realized he is working hard to pay attention in his way, but to me, that's not paying attention. So I realized I need to adjust my standard and I need to follow his lead because I'm always using my standard to judge him. So like, give me like a harmonic. Yeah, he's really doing his best. So I, I don't, you know, I shouldn't, you know, as a standard ruler say you are not paying attention. So I kind of adjust myself, but I think which is good that's like that uh, I'm uh, learning this through the process, going to different conference, because every time you hear something, and you come back, it's almost like you digest that and you say, okay, do I use this in my life? So that's something I think I learned from full time. And then the other one is that um, there's uh, the, the six FEDC, right? So I was looking at the other day, I think, in the past one, look at it, say, oh, those are simple, da, da, da. but then you look at them, you think, okay, he, he should be the first one. So the first one is, but I think about regulation and, you know, interest in the world, we say, that's so easy. But then, you know, I actually thinking that that since is not actually, I understood what I'm saying that is that, um, that actually told me how to, how important self-regulation is to my child and me, because I discovered that you know sometimes my negative emotion could be the big obstacle to my child's development or you know interaction with me because I think it's always that I'm not in a good mood today and I say something to him and it's that trigger and everything goes to the wrong directions. And if I'm not aware of that, I think a lot of time it goes to the wrong way, not until I'm realized being aware of that, my emotion and I need to be regulated. So I think that really helped me learn a lot. And I think I mentioned probably in one of your um, play series workshop, because for me, the, I think the good thing is that sometimes thinking um, English is not my uh, 
native uh, language, uh, I feel it was like a disadvantage to me. But I think I actually think it sometimes it's good because when I go back to my home country, Taiwan, I went to different workshops. I, you know, I turned a different line, you know, learn different things. So I went to a Buddhism workshop for, you know, teachers. And I think from that one, I think the master was talking about, you know, meditation. And then she was mentioned about the, the big mountain, the high mountain. She have a see couple images like, you know, the mountain sits there, no matter how the outer world change, the environment, okay, whether it's spring, summer, fall, or winter, the mountain stands still. And, you know, her talk just like kind of is an aha moment for me because I'm thinking, well, then I should be like the mountain when I'm handling my child's all the behavior, everything they are doing to me because if I'm not still as mountain, I'm moving, I'm shaking. <laughs> I think there's going to be earthquake <laughs> disaster in the house. So I think that that aha moment from that workshop really kind of like deepen, deepens my understanding of what does self-regulation meant to me and how is, why it's so important that Dr. Greenspan put that as a basic, the building brass for full time. Because I think it's almost like, I, know, I think I know all this six you know, stages is easy, but you know when you really look into that, it, it's not as simple as it is. So it's almost like, you know, you look back and then, you know, I also want to mention that um, Dr. Greenspan's book, when uh, my son has a diagnosed with soul, and I learned that, okay, he wrote these two books. But for me, I, I don't like to read things in English because it's a lot for me. So I was able to find the translated book. It was translated in different languages. So it was translated into Chinese. I got those two books in Chinese. And I even sometimes now, if I took my some hours for swimming, I'll pull those book out and I'll read that. And guess what I'm looking at? I say, wow, I make notes what my son was doing like, you know, seven years ago. And I look at it and I'll say, oh, it's off that, you know, he doesn't have this or he's moving, or, you know, beyond the ladder. So I said, actually, it's not the best thing to kind of like go back to read whatever I read before and then kind of think, okay, what's my thinking or what's my note at that time? And how do I feel about that? Because I felt it also helped me to look at things differently. And uh, I also want to, if I have time, if I have a chance to tell myself at that at that time, my, you know, 10 years ago, I probably told myself that, you know, because I think sometimes we focus on kids' behavior. And I actually learned that, you know, I want to say behaviors come and go. <laughs> we just have to hold tight and smile. Because I think it was like sometimes, like, oh, hear this, hear this. And we focus so much on his behavior and we forgot that we should enjoy our child. And that behavior disappeared. Because I just say, I couldn't picture that he had behavior a while ago, but he's totally different kids now. So I, I think that's something I want to say. And, you know, so I want to say, don't focus on the behavior. And what I also learned from time, for all time is that, I think they talk about inside out, think about their needs. Because so now if I think, you know, because a behavior always like suggests a needs behind. So now if my son comes out with some behavior, so the question for me to think about well, what's really inside that? It's almost like we talk about the iceberg, right? What's deep inside, you know? And the ocean that he has issues with could be puberty issues, social issues, or anything that he's having difficulty with. So I think 
it's important for me now to you know spend time to understand you know what's that behavior behind or what seems behind that behavior and then we could have some talk so i think uh we don't do full time like play but i think it's almost like i remember J jackie patel said that you know she was having conversation with her son and they were are you trying to dir us so i'm thinking oh oh okay so sometimes you could have used a full-time principle to interact with your child because he's older kids so i you know it's now it's like kind of the way we talk it's like you know well sometimes i forgot and then i get mad first or he got mad first so now we'll kind of say oh you get mad first and he said no 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 i'm not i'm just trying to test you see if you are you'll get mad before me so then we kind of all crack up and say oh no we are doing that we are not doing that so I, I think that at the moment just felt, yeah, you are really enjoy your child. And he just like a, a regular child. You know, I don't even, I think just forget about the diagnosis. So right now I don't even think, you know, I think the the, the term autism, it seemed to far away from me when he got a diagnosis. It's almost like hold the <laughs> autism seems very tight because everything is like associated with autism he's autism so like you know that's why his behavior those that's why he's doing this that's why all of this trouble but as he gets older and then you know we see the progress he's moving along the developmental letters i start to feel that seems kind of away from us it's almost like you know the perspective about you know neurodiverse and neurothinking, thinking and i think you know the terms came like, you know, recently in this couple of years. So when I heard that and, you know, I think I start to think about that makes sense because in the past we say, okay, if a child has autism, it seems that that's the way they're going to be. We already set the limitation for what they could potential could be. But I think if you turn to look at the neurodiverse and then thinking about like the those neurons, they are wired. Right, so I'm thinking now my job is to help my son wire the neurons. So, so whenever whatever we were doing, we try to give him the experience, do our best, you know, to network and then you know to learn. And that's what I always felt. I like to go to the the conference, whether it's ICDL or different conference, and give me some ideas. Last year I went to the conference, and I think I like one of the teacher from, I forgot which country, somewhere in Europe. And I like her ideas to use in the puppet and then to work with her student telling story because it's abstract. So I got a puppet for my son. So um, so one time um, I used this that because when he was mad at me and then, you know, his teenager. So then he was like, mom, I don't like you. I want a new mom. So then I think I just had this. So I say, could you tell me why you met at your mom? And then he was like, she's mean and i say i understand yeah all the mom does that so i think you know we had a couple of those conversation and then it kind of eased that out and then i feel it's almost like when i use in this puppet it's like another person was talking to him and he's more willing to talk to the puppet than me probably because it's not my face Thank, Thank you, you so much, Michelle. I I love the image of you being the mountain, the stable person in your your son's life. Um, I love all of your insights. Uh, the the regulation stuff. I I love that you play that game. Like, no, you did it first. No, you did it first. It's just I can see the joy in your face versus when you first came to support group and it was always worry, worry, worry. How can I help? How can I help? And now you're just having fun and you're 
being with your child and accepting them for who they are. And it's just wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your journey. We talked about a lot. We're going to wrap up now. Are there anything, anything that anyone forgot to say that you wanted to add? The amount that I've learned from my eldest, from both my kids, but definitely from my eldest who does have di certain differences has given me such a wonderful perspective on the world. And I mean, like in every, everyday scenario, I'm in traffic now and a car zooms by. Old Donna would have been like, what a jerk. I can't believe it. And now new Donna's like, something's happening in their life and they need to deal with it. I hope it's okay. You know, it's this whole overwash of acceptance that I really dig. Like, I think it's really nice. Like I said, people can say something and it could maybe they mean it in a mean way. I don't know. But I think about it. I'm so much more thoughtful about it. And it's because I have to take the patience that Cass was talking about and really kind of uh, reel it in and use it in my everyday life. One thing I just wanted to say that I wish I had known to think about um, as far as framing behavior um, is that to me really felt safety is something to always have in the back of your mind, right? Like if a child is acting in a certain way, if they are like having really big behaviors about something, um, think about how safe does the child feel? Not how safe you think they should feel, right? Um, but how safe they feel. Um, and think about ways that you could support that feeling of felt safety, um, even if it has nothing to do with the scenario that's playing out right there, right? Because the more we shore up that feeling of safety, whether it's through relational safety, right? Like reinforcing that trust, whether it's building access to more robust communication methods, um, whatever that may be, right? Um, an environment that doesn't challenge them so much sensory-wise. Um, that is all felt safety. Um, and the more we can shore that up, then the less stress responses, the less distress responses, um, we'll see flare up. Um, and that that has just been something that has really helped me as a parent to think about. Thank you so much, Cass. Yes, uh, safety is everything. And it it is very dismissive when parents say, they're totally safe, they're fine. Just suck it up, what's the big deal? Um, if he doesn't feel safe and he's terrified, that's the deal. There's so many things to help our child and then you know we have to tell ourselves one step at a time because thinking about the high mountain if you think our journey is high mountain you cannot run there you know you're gonna burn out so it's at one step at a time one step at a time but then with a piece perseverance you know and then with a the belief we have and then with a the support network you know we will be able to climb up to the <laughs> mount everest in our mind yeah Thank you. I love that. I love that. Uh, we all support each other climbing Mount Everest. That's what it feels like sometimes. Yes. Um, thank you all so much for being a part of this podcast. I know that it, I love bringing on other parent voices. So uh, looking forward to seeing you all again in parent support. Thank you so much for sharing your stories with everybody. <laughs>